If you or a loved one has been diagnosed with an acute obsession of true crime, caught discussing tragic events with unwilling participants, or kept awake at night by the paranormal or just plain absurd, you've found the right place. All others, beware of catching this dangerous bug as we begin to talk about the facts. Christmas, or has Christmas passed? I don't know. I don't really remember my shooting schedule, and it doesn't matter because podcast land is whenever you feel like listening to it. But welcome back to another Christmas crime, or is it the same crime as the one before this one? Yes, it is, but the true crime is our commentary. And with us today are the same three panelists that I had last week. Myself, I am Elizabeth Fury, your Christmas crime captain on this sleigh of fear. And we have Kelly Larson back. Kelly, tell us your favorite serial killer. Serial killer? (laughs) Do it. (laughs) Oh, God. I don't have one because I hate serial killers. Who is your, like, the serial killer you know the most about? Oh, God. Um, I, uh, I don't, I don't tend to, like, obsess over serial killers and, like, who Come they... on, you don't know, like, random facts about Ted Bundy or something? <laughs> All I know for Ted Bundy is that my old roommate's mom was at university of washington when he went there and was like picking off girls my speech teacher in high school went on a date with him and obviously lived wow you win she's a a massive bitch and i was like that served you well you have inspired (laughs) me Um, when I first moved here, um, I was working in Santa Monica and I would have to take like the 10 to get out there and there's an exit for Bundy drive. And it was like, I think it was like my third week living in LA. And I just turned to the person that I was working with. and was like, I got a question. Is that named after like that Ted Bundy guy? <laughs> just because I had no clue. Oh I unfortunately God. did this with an earshot of several other people. Was very fortunate to work there two long years after that. Well, first off, that's Justin Plaska, and he has to tell us his favorite serial killer. Uh, uh, I feel like Captain Crunch is really bad at hiding the bodies, and Count Chocula has magic, so we're just going to go with Count Chocula. Get out. Get <laughs> out. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Rachel Hip Flores. Hello. Do you have a favorite serial killer? I, I, am, I don't know much about him, but I'm fascinated by Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer is an interesting one, I have to admit. And I'm going to, I'll give you mine. I, right now, am fascinated by Ed Edwards. And Oh, are you listening to that podcast? No. Um, oh, I, I'm almost positive it's, a, it's about him. Um, Probably. Shit, I think it's, it's called like, um, oh, wait, hang on. I'm, I'm looking at my phone right now. I'm going to mute myself. So this guy, there was another forensic, like, uh, former forensic investigator or whatever 
maybe he was like a former detective, and he was like, this guy could have been the Zodiac, he could have killed JonBenet Ramsey, he could have been the person who killed uh, Teresa Halbach, like, he put together a whole book of, like, how Ed Edwards could have committed all these crimes, but this guy is bananas insane, and, like, the crimes he committed, bananas. Uh, the, the pineapple, Jesus, where am I? Um, the right the- place podcast the podcast is called the clearing and i've only listened to like uh an episode and a half but it's about ed edwards and it's fucking nuts oh my god text it to me i'm gonna listen to it now i'm doing it right now i don't endorse it yet i haven't listened but maybe next next time who will have endorsed i do work tomorrow so perfect time to binge that whole thing so speaking of binging if you listened to our last episode last week we discussed the JonBenet Ramsey case with three people who were only loosely familiar with it. Kelly herself said that she didn't know anything about it, and then she learned a whole bunch. We had so much fun learning about this Christmas crime. Really, it's the piece de resistance of Christmas crimes, probably next to the Sodder children, which I covered at the beginning of the Christmas season. So now we're going to discuss a little bit more of the fallout. And then we're going to talk about basically what it was like for us as kids, what it's like growing up in the 24 hour news cycle and our own personal thoughts regarding the theories. So let's dive on in. Just kidding. I want to get a little, you know, take on, how we're feeling so temperature of the room does anyone want to give a comment throw out a theory and see how we're going it's a reasonable 72 degrees fahrenheit thank you sorry (laughs) sorry again who invited this one (laughs) unfortunately i did so you're asking for like you're you're asking if we have a theory yeah it's like anyone's got strong feelings towards something so far I'm still going to say a previous assistant. Uh, Just saying a previous assistant would know the ins and outs of his, like, behavioral problems, the dads. Mm -hmm. And everything listed in that letter, it's somewhat, it's an assistant. It's it's great. Like, big fan. Okay. I, I go with the assistant as well, but, like... I don't, I can't tell if it's the assistant did it or was part of a cover up after it happened. Because it feels like the one thing about the letter was that it had so many endpoints where it's like, these, like, this is what happened. These are our demands. We'll be in touch. And then it just kept going and kept going and kept going. And it almost just felt like it was a person who was trying to write the perfect ransom letter and to not implicate and it's just like okay this is trying way too hard so i don't know that that just kind of points me to like maybe it was someone was involved in a cover-up interesting theory i like it so far my dog is scratching at the door let me yell at her real quick anybody else got anything no i i I'm 100% behind uh, Kelly's assistant idea because I just, I remember, like, again, sort of having this 
as the background to a lot of my my childhood, it was I just remember well it was like a foregone conclusion that the parents did it, and I didn't know any of like I didn't know anything about the investigation. I didn't know anything that you know. I didn't think critically because I was young and not paying attention. Yeah. So like I so the fact that like this is the first time that I'm like oh that's it's for sure not them. It's it's mind blowing right now. Yeah, of course. May um, I amend? Yes. Just to throw something different, just to throw some chaos in there. Um, I, I'm I'm still gonna stay with cover up, but I'm gonna go with French. I'm gonna go with French because it yeah, seems. Yeah, you were feeling it. Yeah, I mean, it seems like if we want to call it a cover up, I mean, this would still be implicating the dad. Um, but everything like there's just something about that letter that seems like it's literally the bad movie version and it takes every ransom note that's ever been on an episode of matlock or law and order because at that time they didn't have svu um and is mashed together and it almost feels like someone's playing cop of like this is what it should be he didn't look behind the door where it obviously would have opened so i don't know i just feel like French had something to do with it. There are direct quotes in that letter from, um, I think it's Speed. I think there's one from, oh, I can't remember what the other one is. It started with an H. I wish I could have remembered. Um, But it's like another action movie that had just come out. Um, Oh, was it like Heat or something? Yeah, it was Heat. It was Heat. Thank you. I was like, I could picture it, but, um, (laughs) you know, uh, and so in John Douglas's POV, um, he said that does still point to it being an intruder, being a young white male who would know those references. I think it's a stretch to think it's the parents because they don't seem like the type of people who would go to movies and have those quotes memorized. That's not a... Like they're parents of two very, like, they're parents of two very young children. I guarantee you they have no time to go to a theater. They and then on top of that, jam. they went, yeah, if they went, they would have to see a kid's movie or a rom-com. Yeah, they went to Space Jam, please. Yeah. Um, there we go. We have established the oh my God. of the parents. <laughs> <laughs> but that could be where you have French being like, no, this is what you have to do. Like, this is how... Or... This, I'll tell you how to write it. I'll, I'll write it for you because I'm a cop and I, I've been to a seminar. Mm. Right. So, <laughs> well, he's not the one who went to the seminar. But, okay, so let's chat real quick about the false confession. So this blew up in 2006. I don't know if you guys remember this, but there was John Mark Carr. He, at the time... Um, was a 41-year-old elementary school teacher, and he was arrested in Bangkok, Thailand on August 15, 2006, and he falsely confessed to murdering John Bonet. So he had claimed that he drugged, sexually assaulted, and accidentally killed her. So according to CNN, authorities also said they didn't find any evidence leaking Carr to the crime scene. So in the confession... Um, Carr only gave basic facts that were publicly known and he failed to provide any convincing details. He, uh, he claimed that he drugged Jean Bonnet and 
during her autopsy, there were no drugs in her body. The DNA sample that was taken from Carr did not match any DNA found in the house or her body. But on October 26, 2006, Carr sent an email to Bill Hammonds of Bill's List seeking a literary agent to help publish a manuscript that some might find controversial. However, because he was arrested in Bangkok, Thailand, confessing to that murder would have had him extradited to the United States, therefore getting him out of Bangkok back to the U.S. as a U.S. citizen, therefore makes sense why you would do that. Um, so that was the false confession, the biggest um, there was. But let's go over some suspects, major suspects. First is Patsy Ramsey. So um, it's sad she had a 13-year battle with ovarian cancer that eventually would spread to her brain and she would pass away um, in 2006. Uh, though that she and her husband, obviously John Ramsey, were formally exonerated in 2008 thanks to DNA, many still sus still think that she did it. Um, she is a former Miss West Virginia. Uh, she is thought to have accidentally murdered Jean Monnet in a fit of rage over a bedwetting accident and quickly covered it up. But Jean Monnet was known to, oh my God, my dog. Hey. I mean, that's rational. Yeah, but she actually was dealing with bedwetting for quite some time, and it was actually part of um, her routine to go in and change her sheets when she woke up in the morning and put them in the washing machine, and later the housekeeper would come and switch it over to the dryer, and that was like a daily routine for a while, because um, Jean Monnet was still being potty trained and things like that. Um, so that's why that doesn't seem kind of like why all of a sudden you get a snap one day when you've been doing this for like months. Um, so she was an average, well, I wouldn't say average, but she was like, you know, average to influential suburban mom. Uh, she had been known for beauty pageant winning herself and then her daughter, Jean Bonnet, and she threw lavish Christmas parties every year. Several pieces of evidence suggest she may have had more to do with the crime than she let on. Um, so some people think that the blunt force trauma came from the side of the bathtub, um, and that the grot was made from one of her paintbrushes. Uh, the spiral staircase, she was the one to find the note with the strained verb, strange verbiage that sounded like it was from a classic crime film. Um, the Boulder PD's former investigator, Steve Thomas, had speculated that Patsy wrote the note herself in a moment of panic. But who writes a two-and-a-half-page note in panic? Look, I couldn't do that in college. Don't talk to me about being able to do that after accidentally murdering your pride and joy. And also... Don't interrupt the flow. I'm I... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. 
but with the handwriting analysis, which was uh, eventually inconclusive, it's determined that even though the note was written on a piece of paper from the uh, Ramsey's home, it was not her handwriting. So she was extremely defensive, and she, like, was on Larry King Live and, like, yelled at somebody. I don't see that as unrealistic. I'd do it. And I'm, I haven't been accused of murder. I mean, she also has been dealing with a nationwide, like, hate against her. Uh, people accusing her of murdering her child? Yeah. Yeah. No. Like, no. I don't blame her. Also, it's Larry King. She has a right to be angry. <laughs> Dude, I yelled at someone today who was just talking too loud on his cell phone outside of my window. Like, come on. Granted... I had a nasty headache, but, like, why are you yelling on your phone by people's houses? Just saying. Like, it does not take a lot to make somebody that angry, especially when they're under that much of pressure. So she is everyone's favorite target, everyone's favorite um, villain, I would say, in the story. But there are several others, one of those being John Ramsey. So I remember watching this special that Linda Arndt, that police officer who was um, basically with the Ramses and waiting for the ransom call, and she's the one who sends John and the neighbor Fleet White to search the house. Um, she says that John Ramsey made a beeline straight for the basement, and finds the deceased child but that's not quite how it happened um she also said that like when he brought her body up he was just so emotionless that she was like i was looking at a killer and i was counting the bullets in my gun quietly in case i needed to use it and i was like what the fuck linda like you think that this man holding his dead child is going to do something to the point where you're going to have to shoot him? Does he Also, have a- has she seen someone with a dead child in their arms before? Like, grief comes in different ways. Exactly. I. Uh, he was recently asked, I can't remember what special it was, like a lot of people criticized him for how emotionless he was. And he's like, I just, I don't show grief like that. I don't, I've, I've never been that kind of emotional person. And he, I know, like, he's a Nebraska guy, and so is my dad. And I can't imagine my dad, even if I had been murdered like that, like, I feel like my dad would react the same. You know, like, I don't want to say men of that time, but, like, I don't think that they're in touch with their emotions that way, you know? It's oh, not totally. Exa- it's not exactly something that is looked up, like, you know, looked well on at the time that they were growing up and such. And, um, but anyway, she said um, he knew too much. She made no secret of her suspicions post uh, being a part of it. Uh, the Ramsey's discovery 
was suggested to be the fault of that botched police investigation. Why would she have them search the house? That makes no sense. Um, some believe it's strange that uh, she told ABC News in 1999 that she found their actions uh, suspicious, like the 10 a.m. deadline going past. Um, and he, she was so convinced that John was the murderer that she had counted the bullets in her holster. Yeah. Um, there was another detective on the scene who had claimed to have overheard John Ramsey making arrangements to fly to Atlanta after the murder. And he said, John admitted to this because they'd been asked to leave the house and they wanted to go home to Atlanta where they'd lived for over 25 years. And then once the like sexual abuse allegations came in, even though no evidence was ever found to prove this, um, Ramsey stated there is no history and a person doesn't go through their life as a normal human being, one night turn into a monster, slaughter their daughter, go to bed, get up, act normal from there on. It doesn't happen. They ended up moving back to Georgia um, after that. And so the third main suspect is their their son and Jomine's brother, Burke. Now, for many years, they shielded him from what was being said, like John Ramsey talked about, he would go to grocery store owners and stuff and be like, can you like turn the papers around? So Burke doesn't see that he's a main suspect in his sister's killing. Cause that's devastating for him. Um, so Burke, uh, he did a CBS thing at the time he was 29. I think that would be what, three years ago or so. Um, so CBS aired the case of John Bonet Ramsey. It was a two-part documentary that reinvestigated the evidence. Um, it had a retired profile, Jim Clement, and former Scotland Yard behavioral analyst Laura Richard. The documentary leaned their suspicion towards Burke as um, close as they possibly could without making formal accusations. And they set up a compelling theory um, they basically say that Chambonet's autopsy included a per perfect rectangular defect that came from like a blow from like a blunt heavy flashlight that and you can see that on the kitchen counter which I mentioned in the last episode and the flashlight fit the eight and a half inch gash in her skull to perfection. However, there's no trace evidence of either of them on the flashlight. And it becomes more suspicious tied to the pineapple scenario. A theory suggested that she had taken a slice of fruit from Burke's snack at the dining room table and um, leading him to hit her with the flashlight out of anger. Of course, the wounds on her back, the ones that may have come from a stun gun, were consistent with one of his toy train tracks 
which uh, may have been used by Burke to poke at his sister's unconscious body for a response. What? But Burke shot back immediately after this special aired, and he had his, his attorney sued for perpetrating a fraud on its viewers, and it was for $150 million against them for defamation. And I believe he won that lawsuit. And with a recent interview with John Ramsey, I saw he really wanted this to be solved, not just for answers, but also he didn't want this legacy to be carried on to his grandchildren. Because his children obviously have lived with it, but his grandchildren, it's never kind of fallen out of favoritism I guess with popular culture and he doesn't want his grandchildren to have to live with this so those are the first three thoughts complaints comments criticisms so we've got the mom the dad and the brother first three of course right and autopsy report was strangulation was the cause of death, but the head injury happened like after post immediately postmortem. Okay. Yeah. I gotta say him poking her with a train after he would have killed her would not have left that mark. Why do they keep hanging on that? It's a train track. I know it still wouldn't, but Wait. I was going to be specific. Is it like one of the electric train tracks, though? That like it does have a little bit of a current running through it? I don't think so. Also, okay. it doesn't have the current running through it unless it's connected to all of them. Uh... Yeah, he couldn't have like dragged the train track. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> that is that that would be some commitment. And if he's nine years old, I mean, there are psychopaths at nine years old. I yeah, will but say he that. wouldn't know how to tie a garage. And yeah. also, like, he wouldn't have been able to drag her body unless the parents covered it up but even then i don't believe that the mom like the parents would have been a lot more afraid of their child after this moment yes they would have never looked at him the same they would have cut ties with him they would have eventually i think broken and said what actually happened after all the like press yeah i mean i just wealth does crazy things though like when you have such an insulated environment and they were very wealthy, even in the nineties, like that's, they had a lot of money. So I could, if, if it was like the blunt force trauma was the cause of death, I would say, yeah, I could see this. And then that way you could see French being involved as part of the cover up from the parents. Blah, 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 blah. But I mean, yeah, because I don't think it was the kid, but I, I like, I also don't think that you can sit down and say like a hundred percent, the parents would be, would look at him differently and cut him off. I think especially with how wealthy they are, they would be more likely to circle the wagons, but they're not, they're not generationally wealthy. Like John built the wealth. He didn't grow up wealthy. Oh, exactly. But I mean, how quickly can you lose it with, nine-year-old murder sister on all of the headlines and, and I, parents but I trying do to then, cover up 
I do then have to say, if he almost lost all of his money through trying to pay to find the killer, mm-hmm. I it doesn't add up that it's yeah. any of them. That's yeah. the part to me that stands out. If you did kill your kid, in most cases where they catch the killer, they give up very quickly for finding them, finding the mm-hmm. killer. Yeah. And they walk away from it because they just want to move on. Mm-hmm. And they want to, like, forget the monkey's paw, right? And, like, I just... Does that change if... Go ahead. I was just going to ask, does that change if you're protecting someone? Like, if you didn't do it, but... If you were protecting someone, why would you, why would you pay a, an exorbitant amount of money to, an to ad- keep bringing someone to poke holes? Like, someone like... Um, John Douglas, who that's yeah. not cheap. Mm-hmm. Like that is the top of the line, and basically, and you're also taking the personal criticism of you murdered your daughter, and it would make more sense to me if they came down, they saw Burke hit her with a flashlight. Why would they assume she's dead? Like they could have picked her up, taken her to the emergency room, and be like, "There was an accident. Something happened. We yeah. don't know what." Yeah, yeah. Like just make it an accident. Make it an accident yeah. right away, and well, be like, "To be honest, they wouldn't have known any different at that point." Like their immediate reaction is, "How do we help your sister?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, well, no, that's the thing is that like you help her, and then if they find out that she is dead and they think it's Burke, they're like, "This was obviously an accident." Yeah. Why would they have waited so long to do it? And that's why I'm saying, like, you do have psychotic, you have psychopathic kids. It can show up in mm-hmm. young children. And it's like, in those instances, parents are very rarely going to go to the extents that they did. Yeah. To yeah. find, and if it just doesn't, it doesn't add up that it's any of them, especially if there's no yeah. DNA proof. Yeah. So. so next we have Gary um, Oliva, who is a 32-year-old known sex offender in Boulder, Colorado, um, at the time of Jean Benet's death. And he um, – sorry. He had been living in the area on and off when the police allegedly found a magazine cutout – of Jean Benet in his backpack and after he was apprehended on drug charges in 2000. He was released, but suspicions remained. So the Ramseys had a longtime private investigator, Ollie Gray, and once referred to um, Oliva's ties to Jean Benet as a bombshell arrest in the case, and lambasted the Boulder PD for failing to consider him as a more credible suspect. Soon after, Oliva's um, high school friend, Michael Vale, stepped forward with an allegation supporting Gray's suspicion. So Vale claimed that not long after the Domine's death, um, Oliva called him and confessed that um, he hurt a little girl. Yeah. That's how he phrased it. He goes, I heard a little roll. Uh, so Michael Vale revealed to In Touch Magazine, salacious, that he was particularly unsettled by how the knots used to fashion the garage that 
was used on John Bonet were similar to those used in an incident where Oliva attempted to choke his mother with a telephone cord. Um, Vale recalled that his blood ran cold when he read that. Um, Oliva was also rumored to have possible connection to a theory that links the marks found on John Bonet's body to an encounter with a stun gun. He had one on him at the at the time of his initial arrest. He was cleared through DNA testing for the for the murder, um, but recently charged with two counts of uh, sexual exploitation of a child for pos- possessing child pornography. Um, yeah, I believe he's in jail in Denver. So, next one in this like subcategory is an electrician named um, Michael Helgoff. This was another potential suspect found by Ali Gray. He, Michael Helgoff worked in a nearby auto salvage yard. Um, he was called a hellraiser and he was tied to alleged property dispute with the, Re- with the Ramses. Um, and that could have been a possible motive to seek revenge on the family. Uh, it's been speculated that the once that once um, he got wind that he could have been a suspect because officials found a boot print similar to his near the home, he did take his own life before anyone could get to him. So his death occurred two days after a 1997 press conference announcing the Boulder PD, Boulder DA was zeroing in on a new spe- suspect. However, Helgoth was cleared by both DNA and death. And then let's talk about that housekeeper. Um, Linda Hoffman Pugh. So like her last name is a Hoffman Pugh. So H dash P. Um, she had worked for the family as their housekeeper and her husband Mervin was their handyman. So it's not surprising. She has a key. Um, during the investigation, she didn't really fit the profile that the police were after. White male, former convict, 25 to 30. Don't know how they came up with that, but you know, whatever. But she really did not hold back on voicing her suspicion that Patsy Ramsey did it. I find that very interesting. Um, that said, Patsy claimed to investigators that Hoffman Pugh was struggling for money and had asked for a loan of several thousand dollars, which... Patsy declined. The police showed up at the Pew home one night. Um, oh, sorry. The night after the murder uh, took place and asked her to write the number 180,000 on a piece of paper and took her fingerprints and several strands of her hair. She then testified in front of a grand jury for a total of eight hours including a statement against Patsy that read, I think she had multiple personalities. She'd be in a good mood, and then she'd be cranky. She got into arguments with Chaminet about wearing a dress or having a friend come over. I, I had never seen Patsy so upset. Then, um, so, like, basically the theory of her asserted that she led Chaminet down to the basement that night in an attempt to trick employers into leaving money for her ransom um it's possible she could have seen john ramsey's pay stub for 
181,000 uh, as like a holiday bonus and chosen that as her demand. Uh, she, like she could have been familiar with the banking situation, like knew that he had that as liquid asset and could get it really quick without authorities noticing. Um, Cause you know, there's wealthy people and then there's people who have like wealth that is liquid and can get to it fast. So whether or not like, you can get to your money is one thing. And so knowing that he had specifically that much because of the holiday bonus is one thing. Um, but she knew the house and the schedule. So she's a very convenient suspect and has no alibi. She was allegedly asleep in bed. And while her husband allegedly slept on the couch and there's room to speculate if she could have been involved. And so far, all evidence implicating her in the case is just circumstantial at best. and But, however, she's not been formally accused of any part of the crime. So, thoughts on those three? I don't know if the... I don't know if the maid did it. They don't say she did it. They just say that she's involved somehow. Like... As like, if she knew someone, if she owed money to someone and said, like, oh, well, I work for these people, it may have led to it. I can believe that's that. possible. Because, in my opinion, your assistant theory and her make a lot of sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I still think it's an assistant. Because she would be the assistant. And it makes sense why Patsy is being the one set up as a, if you will, Patsy. Um, because it seems like they did not get along. I can't believe she had the guts to ask her for a several thousand dollar loan. Also, her describing Patsy as being frustrated with her daughter. I'm like, have you seen a mother and daughter? (laughs) That's so real. Like, how many times did my mom and I get into rows because she wanted me to wear a dress to Easter dinner? Like, I can't, you can't use that as evidence. I was like, if that's evidence, get ready to see what happened in my childhood. Yeah, like, I'm sorry, did you ever see her hit her? Did you ever see her, like, abuse her? That's one thing. Like, an argument with your child is normal. Maybe it was like, no, you can't have 27 friends. You can only have three. Yeah, and, like, also, I'm sorry, but it sounds like she was shit at her job, so, like... Yeah. Clean your own home, lady. Pun intended. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, so the last it one is, on... Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say, it is freaking baffling that this is all that they were able to get. Like, it's a bunch of circumstantial hearsay, people they didn't follow up with that died... Um, or doors that they didn't open. And it's like, it is absolutely baffling. Mm -hmm. Which, again, I mean, if we're conjecturing, if I have to choose, that would probably point me back to French being involved in some way. Because it's like, how do you screw this up so badly? And how do you have nothing that you can actually sit down and say, this is concrete? I've reported on worse (laughs) <laughs> oh, I really? <laughs> on a jail house that like the guy who ran the jail was like, I don't even know who's in here. And I was like, I wish I got paid for being really bad at my job. 
God, right. Same. Like, like why are mediocre people given so many chances? <laughs> I can't even unpack that statement. Like, oh, God. All right, They're we got one more. Oh, go ahead. Wait, I have a question. Okay. Okay, when you say that they were cleared by evidence, by uh, DNA evidence, does that mean that there was just that their DNA wasn't found at the scene of the crime? Or does that mean that there was someone's, like, there was some random DNA around, it wasn't this guy's? So like, yeah. There was DNA at the scene on Jean Benet and around the scene, like, um, I forget what type. I don't think I specified in the last episode um, that it basically cleared the entire Ramsey family. It's um, unknown male DNA. And so they tested that against all of the potential suspects and such. Got it. Yeah. So that's how they knew it wasn't what's his bucket and the other bucket and the other bucket, you know? Is this going to turn into a murder on the Orient Express thing where it's like, psych, it was everyone. It was all of them. I mean, it has to have been like a group of people. And that's what well, like makes me think it had to I... do with like the maid owing money to someone and that group coming in and using her knowledge and intel to try and like kidnap John Bonet. One of them is a con- like a previous convict ends up like raping her and hurting her and killing her and they're like fucking hell dude and so then they have to leave and they race out yeah but like that is is a story that i believe (laughs) but this is this is where i struggle this is where i struggle with that though because and this is why like every major like stupid conspiracy theory breaks down because it's like the more people that are involved the like it is an exponential increase in the likelihood that the story is not going to be kept straight there's gonna be a hole and someone's gonna blab or they're just gonna get caught yeah and so it's Uh, like if you have like one person and an accomplice especially if it's someone who does know like the how this is largely going to work in terms of like the mechanics of an investigation I can buy that, but the more people you add on, it's just like the signal degradation is going to fuck you. Yeah. And I I have to agree. Let me do this last one that is one of the most popular. But, you know, whatever. I'll let you think. So, there was Bill McReynolds. He is now deceased, but he was a friend of the Ramseys, and he dressed up as Santa Claus the week before Jean Benet's murder to entertain the neighborhood children at one of Patsy's Christmas gatherings. So, he's an older man, and he dressed as Santa. Um, That does make a pretty good perp in a child murder. But the possibility that uh, McReynolds had anything to do with JonBenet's death is really unlikely. He was rumored to have uh, paid a little too much attention to JonBenet, going so far as to arrange a secret visit from Santa Claus on Christmas. But... We don't know. Supposedly, he had chosen Jean Monnet to be a special friend, going so far as to bring a vial of glitter gifted to him by the six-year-old with him to, into heart surgery. Um, and even stranger, he asked his wife to mix the gold glitter with his ashes uh, were he to die. Um, what? 
However, so weird. that's fabulous. I'm sorry. I was in it. the other room and was muted and had to run all the way back. What? <laughs> oh my god. So it is McDonald's. not that hard to not be creepy. What is wrong with people? I know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, if you don't have children of your own for whatever reason, like, perhaps, like, his wife couldn't have children or they chose uh, not to it. And, like, you were one of the no. last people that this little no. girl ever saw. The only time that I understand no. this is if he was actually the biological father and had to keep oh, it a secret. Okay. Then is, I okay. then I can understand that and no. I can make that leap of like, oh, he's he also he feels these are like, all rumors. These but, aren't wait. legitimate. They're all rumors. Oh, though they are okay, I really hope it's not true because that is so creepy. It's just yeah, creepy. That's... I'm sorry. If anyone were to tell me that my child gave them glitter and they took it with them into surgery i would not find that cute i would find that deeply disturbing yeah that person would be going away <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i would, would never let my distance. kid i would never let my kid have access to them ever again because even if they're not that like the level of like molestation or pedophilia creepy it is still just crossing a line like a boundary I don't know. I just don't want to be their patient if they have glitter on them during heart surgery. I feel like that's dangerous. That's true. I hope I don't cut them open and there's glitter. Because that glitter is going to be with you forever. Yeah, that doesn't. As that doesn't a gay man, I am fine <laughs> with the glitter. I am fine with glitter surgery. Just, just not in the creepy one. If someone, if like I'm having open heart surgery, and a nurse, like they're listening to music, and a nurse is like, "I love this jam, glitter." I'm not gonna be mad. <laughs> I'm just gonna say, glitter is the herpes of crafting supplies. I so... was waiting for someone to say there that it because is. then you there have the is. herpes. Yeah. You have the it... herpes of craft supplies near an open body cavity. No, thank you. No, no thank, thank you. you. Or even like near, it's like sand. Okay, I don't want to like wake up and wonder why like my butt itches because I have glitter in my underwear <laughs> and in my back like what do I have a hair back there no it's just fucking glitter like I would be so mad glitter in surgery no I'm gonna kill somebody no I'm a grumpy here for person. the party did Justin just become possessed probably Gonna, I'm just gonna cut him off. <laughs> Justin, this is this is creepy, Justin. That was amazing. <laughs> that was scary. <laughs> it's the spirit of John Benet. The spirit of John Benet has come into his microphone and messed with it. <laughs> oh my god. Listen, it'll bring me joy, and if it gets sewn up in there, then I'll have a little Justin, I can't understand a word you're saying. Don't make happy. me edit you out. No. <laughs> 
Justin's gonna fix himself. We're gonna go back to the conversation. That was fucking amazing. I want that to happen all the time. Oh my god. That was scary. I was like, why is he why does he sound like he's doing a sound effect and it's not like a funny no. one, it's a creepy one. It's so creepy. He just said that his headphones are dead, so go on without him. Oh. oh that was glorious. I'm gonna make a note for you, Fury. What? Cut Justin's audio. <laughs> not leaving no, it no, no, no. Like, Leave it all in. Not anyone's No, like It's like when Hal is dying. This is giving me rage. No, 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 no. Not anyone's glitter. Like, this is someone, like, went to the dollar store and was he's like, been, oh, he's yeah, been, glitter. He's been possessed. Party. Do you know how much I'm going to have to cut here? That. Not like this dude. <laughs> okay. Well, while Justin fixes himself, we're going to continue. Um, so those are like the main suspects. There is a... Uh, sorry, my headphones died. He, he had let someone go. Okay, is this better? Situation where... Um, Uh-oh. The, like, same price or same salary that he was trying to negotiate was, like, the same amount. Um, but that could be coincidental. So, all right. You have all of your suspects that I am aware of or felt like talking about. And that I, I didn't want to go full on conspiracy here because, like, there is an Ed Edwards connection. It's unlikely, guys. It's so unlikely. But there was another young girl who someone attempted to break into their house later. Like, I want to say a few weeks. And it was thwarted. But it was kind of clear that there was somebody in the neighborhoods of Boulder perpetrating crime. And um, I don't think it was taken seriously that that could have been a connection by police. Um, I can't find the situation, but I do know that that existed because it was in an interview I watched. Um, the amount of interviews I watched were insane. But... Um, yeah, so it's time to discuss, uh, what we think. So let's start. Anybody really feeling it and want to start like talking or ask questions? I'm going to stick with French being involved. Justin's fixed. 
<laughs> I, I found I, new I found new headphones. Oh my god. <laughs> it was like just enough to cut everything. Yeah. Please. 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 I was not trying to talk about some specific kids. Okay, so. I was trying to be like. Let's have a party and throw glitter during headphones. Um. You said that John Ramsey lost most of his fortune trying to, quote, find this person. If we want to go full conspiracy theory here, I mean, if you're paying, maybe that's finding the way in the pockets of the police who are helping you cover it up. But the police are also actively trying to... I mean... I am if they're taking money from you and trying to make this look legit so no one else gets wise to it. I mean, I could see that. Where, like, his payments... Yeah, I know. I feel like that's a stretch, but I also feel like that could be. I still think that French is involved because of the... Just he refused to open a door, and that only happens in Star Wars. I mean, my only thing to that is that why would he fess up to it later? Yeah. Why would he ever say that he didn't open the door? I feel like him saying that he didn't open the door is the only thing that doesn't put or like puts her body being found at 1 p.m. So we can only assume that somewhere between 5 a.m. and 1 p.m. her body is there. We don't know for sure, because French didn't check. Or, if he did check, he found it and didn't say anything. Because he did it. And that's how I get sued. I just don't see a correlation or a motive. I don't either. That's the thing, is it feels like a motiveless crime, unless it's against John specifically. Because he had to get into the house, know their schedule chill out there has there has to be there has to be a personal connection somehow mm-hmm. and i just don't see i don't know is anybody into the theory that the parents did it no, no. again because no. of the amount of money that they spend trying to find the killer i don't buy it what about the younger brother or the older brother i apologize no. Same reason. They would have known. Mm-hmm. I don't think the older brother had the capability to cover up his own crime on that one. If he were to do it and obviously hide it from his parents, that's not yeah. possible. There's no way. There's like, just, I, I don't see it. It doesn't make sense that the body was in the house. Was found it doesn't. In the house. But at the same time, it doesn't make sense for them to have done it. So, yeah, the cleaning lady makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. But I don't if, – if her writing doesn't match, that makes me think that there was someone else that she told and conspired with to do this. Right. What was the deal with the guy who killed himself? The 
electrician, um, Michael Helgoff. He died in what we think was suicide shortly after her death. The DA said that they were um, zeroing in on a solid lead, and he took his own life shortly after. Not, We're not certain if it was in con- like conjunction with Jaminet's death, but it's strongly suspected. However, he was cleared by DNA test. Did he have like a, I mean, was there anything leading up to, you know, the supposed suicide? Was there a note? Was there like, it's, it goes back to that, you know, the quote you said from the mind hunter where like, no one does this kind of thing in a vacuum. So I feel like this is all, I, I feel like I need more context around like the lives of these people <laughs> in order to in order to like effectively you, say yes or no. Yeah, I gave you a lot about Gary Oliva, but so Helgoth uh, had worked near the family home and had a history of violence and sexual abuse. But remember how he had like a like a property dispute with the Ramses, um, and he allegedly had told a friend that he and a business partner would be making fifty dollars to $80,000 around the time of Jean-Benet's death. Um, so that's actually roughly around the, t- the amount asked for in the ransom note. Um, so the district attorney announced that they had narrowed down the list of suspects in January of 1997, and then two days later, Helgoth was found dead and apparently a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Was his and DNA his... ever tested? What was your what was the question? Was his DNA ever tested? Yes, and he was cleared. But what about his partner that he was like, "Oh, a business partner and I are going to make 100, you know, $80,000 a piece." Like was his, was his partner's DNA tested? I don't believe they know who his partner was. I um, I think that's a strong suspect right there because it's somebody who has a personal grudge against John himself. He would go after something that's incredibly valuable to him. And again, you wouldn't go after Burke because one, he's a boy. Two, at nine, they're more capable of taking care of themselves in a way like you know you're gonna kick you're gonna you know make a lot of noise right um and going after Bonet, knowing that she's a beauty pageant queen and like is this pretty little doll type thing thinking she must be frail um, and using, like, bringing a couple things, but using things from the house, knowing, and, like, just wearing latex gloves fixes so many things that they're saying here. They're like, oh, there's no fingerprints but Patsy's on the note. Well, it was her pad in her house, and if he wore also, latex gloves... Didn't she find the note? Yes! So her fingerprints are obviously going to be... Uh, these people are dumb. I'm sorry. I'm... But you would you would like be surprised. I like most people who are I would say in their forties, fifties, sixties do think that the Ramses committed this crime, and I really think it's 
because of the media coverage. Yeah. And, I mean, I look at this evidence, and I have to side with John Douglas. And I think of Sutton's Law, which is funny, the episode that Rachel did with us. We learned about Sutton's Law. Remember uh, Willie Sutton, the bank robber? Uh, I do, but I'm eating, so I'm not going to talk right now. It's okay. There's a quote where a reporter asked him, why did you rob these banks? And he just said, because that's where the money is. And Sutton's Law is, generally, it's going to be the most obvious thing, right? Yeah. And you have to leap through so many hoops to make it be the parent, right? Where Mm -hmm. the intruder theory is so simple. It makes so much more sense. An intruder comes in from the outside, targets Jaminet because she is the smallest. She will make the least amount of noise. Something goes wrong, according to the note. And she dies. And here we are. I just don't see how the Ramses could have been culpable yeah to me the intruder thing makes sense up until the ransom note i don't know why they'd stick around i don't know why they'd stick around to write two and a half pages if they just that's why john douglas believes it was penned before and that the intruder was inside the home before they got home for from the christmas party this like this touches on something that i was like kind of joking about last episode which is like, what is the purpose of the ransom note? Like, are you trying to extort them again and again and again? Or like, so you have it written and you're ready and then she dies and then you just leave her there? Why not, I don't know, take the body so it's not found and try and get your money at least? Do you remember like, the th- case that I told you about briefly that was similar to this one? Where the, uh, the wife, Annie Heron, where she was kidnapped. And they figured out who wrote the ransom note, but Annie Heron was never seen again. Yes. The point wasn't the ransom or giving Annie Heron back. The point was to destroy the life of her husband. And it worked. Because the ransom note gives them hope. And then... hmm, Smashed. And I think that because JonBenet may have been accidentally killed, or on purpose, it could have been totally on purpose, I think we assume accidentally because a garrot can be easily uncontrollable um you're just twisting something in a six-year-old's neck i mean is very delicate i mean anyone's neck at that point is very delicate but even more so a six-year-old um i think that maybe it was penned before with somebody had plenty of time to do it and they left it just to make it worse. When you have an I don't to grind with somebody. But then grind. why not follow up? Like, why not? Like, th- and this is what's so... 
if you want to cause the maximum amount of pain, then you follow through and you take the money and you make them go through all of this and you keep extorting them and you would take the body with you. So that's why it's like, for me, the motive behind the ransom note is such a big part of this and why it leads me to think that it was included as part of a cover-up more than anything else because there's no purpose to leave a ransom note and the body in the house right like if you leave a ransom note that is handwritten and the body you you have to know you are leaving massive amounts of evidence right yeah it just the ransom note trips me up it does it trips me up too it it just like and i get it the whole like wanting to dig the knife in deeper but yeah, as Justin said, wouldn't you want to take the body with you and have them never know what actually happened to their daughter? I guess it depends because JonBenet does not have a time of death. The coroner was not able to establish a time of death. So maybe the opportunity to take the body wasn't available. Like maybe that's when Patsy was getting up and this offender literally didn't have the time to do it. And but so- then you take the note. But the like, note, you take maybe, the evidence that you were there. Yeah. yeah. But maybe this person was like, maybe I can still get the money. I'll call her tomorrow at 10 a.m. But they're thinking that day at 10 a.m. I'm just thinking but there was of no someone call. being like, like. But remember how if they said, I will call tomorrow at 10 a.m., right? She gets that note that day. So tomorrow could have been the 27th. I'm I know it's it's a lot it's a lot to consider it's just a, it feels it feels like a stretch it the just, whole thing is a stretch there's some and it's like it's always the most obvious answer but also there are there are instances where like multiple people cross paths and it ruins a crime scene if that makes sense yeah yeah like was there another person there was there a fight between the two people that were supposed to be doing this? That to me, it seems like it's not going to be cut and dry no matter what it is, because if it was cut and dry, they would have found the killer. Right. I mean, and this is, hopefully. The, yeah, this is, that's where I'm dead ending. Cause it's like, I can get you as far as justifying the ransom note as a cover up. And that's about as far as I can get you with it, with what, what we've been told and what we have. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, that's that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Is it's like, it's a two-page freaking note. I understand things could go wrong in the process of trying to kidnap someone. But the fact that it was left there along with the body, it just, it's like, this should have been looked at as if it was a cover-up. And it's pointing me back to French. In, so, in terms of some sort of involvement, I don't think, I don't think he was necessarily the one to do anything, but he feels like an accessory. It would make sense to me if it was someone on the force and they were trying to cover it up for, you know, right. buddy buddies in blue. Yeah. According um, to Douglas, John Douglas, his principally, like his own words, principally staging would take place for two reasons. To direct the investigation away from the most logical suspect or to protect the victim or victim's family. So it's the offender who attempts to redirect the investigation. Um, 
And then he's his opinion, which I mentioned in the last episode, was that it was a young male, very disorganized killer, which means they weren't really thinking about their actions or the consequences of their actions or anything like that. They were just considering, like, okay, what do I do next? What do I do next? And it's all very chaotic. And so whatever reasoning they had for doing something doesn't really make logical sense. Because there's so many things about the whole situation that does not make logical sense. Like, why use a garage? And so this is, yeah, because it's like, I could also see this playing out where the initial intent was to kidnap. So you use a stun gun. The stun gun doesn't quite work. So someone emotional, you know, hits her in the head and then isn't sure if she's dead or not. But now all of a sudden it's become a, okay, the easiest way to get out of this is make sure they're dead garot the garot actually does it but then it's just like so it's like it's very clear there was a lot of time taken and i can understand like okay a lot of time went into into this time has elapsed someone could wake up they could get found it's just i am so stuck on this note because everything else like i can i can look at everything and be like this was a bunch of failed attempts and one of them finally did the trick but the note and how it was written feel like it feels like it was specifically constructed for the events that had happened you have way too like like when someone's talking too long sort of like i'm doing right now um but when someone's talking too long it's like okay i know you don't have shit like i know you don't have anything and this is bullshit Mm -hmm. and that's i'm leaning to the only motive behind the ransom note is like it was intended to misdirect and like no one was ever going to call no one ever wanted the money they knew how much would be a reasonable ransom or something like that it just it's too much yeah it's like the only thing i can think of is it was put there to buy time i you know that is also very plausible because let's say they wrote it and let okay so like the matthew What's his bucket? Um, Michael Herzog, whatever. I think that's his name. Um, Michael Helgoth. Who's Michael Herzog? It's Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog. That's who I was thinking of. Um, Michael Helgoth. <laughs> Werner Herzog. Just a shout out to the names in this case, though, because there's like Helgoth and Fleet and French and there's a Grey in there somewhere and then there's a Mervyn and I just there's just a lot of there's a lot happening name wise Oh, and there's an Oliva which was so hard for me not to say Olivia um, just because I can't read all of it all of it Um, he also wrote a poem called Ode to John Bonet no yeah no we're gonna do a hard pass on that is this the guy with the glitter? No. no oh, God. God. oh, God. I gotta say, I don't Please care. Don't that, guy, that, that guy is I told off you his those rocker. Were all 
hearsay about him. All that you know is that he dressed as Santa Claus and some believed that he was special friends with her. All you know for sure is that he was a friend of the Ramses and dressed up as Santa Claus. And then they made him feel bad for it. Hmm. You can't trust anybody. Especially Santa Claus. No, I'm saying especially like suburban mothers. Like he was just doing what he was paid to do. Sheesh. Anyway, back to Michael Helgoth. Okay, so I find him to be a compelling theory because him and a buddy, let's say they go in and they do this and they wrote this ransom note ahead of time, right? Or let's say his um, business partner is the housekeeper, the very terrible housekeeper. Um, she lets him in and she doesn't know what he's going to do to Jean Bonnet, but she leaves and goes home and he has a copy of the key or whatever. And Patsy Ramsey wakes up before he's left the house and he had that ransom note because he was writing it while they were out and was like, this will be funny because it does sound like something some idiot like in their 20s dude writes because they're you know they think they're the shit and he just leaves it there because he was intending to kidnap her for the money but then he accidentally killed her so he hides her in that place thinking i can get out and i can get away while this is all happening before she like discovers anything and um because she's going to pick up the note, check to see if Champagne's in there, and then call 911. So that's enough time for him to get away. I'm just throwing it out as a plausible situation. And then maybe he was going to call, but not that day, but the next. It's a thought. Is it weird that I don't feel like this was an accident? Like, I... I just feel like the garrote is so intentional. <laughs> like that's like, that is a multi-step situation that is not like, it's not even the most effective way of shutting, a, of shutting someone up. Like, why would you make that happen on a body unless you intended to strangle them? Well, I would say like a garrote is not an uncommon way to do the things done but I don't see a wig of coming back from it like I don't see a situation where it was an accident like she was going to die that was it yes I agree I think that this was I I feel like it's murder and like intentional murder not accidental murder Now that we've discussed all that, think back to when you remember Jean Monnet being on TV and in tabloids and Amber Hagerman, if you were in the area or when Amber Alert started. For me, Morgan Nick was a really big one as well. It happened 
right after Jaminet, and that was like in the backyard for me. Um, do you remember what it was like to kind of make that big switch, or was it gradual for you guys? Um, I remember like. I remember my parents being very, um, like, making me very aware of, like, pay attention, keep your eyes open, be with friends if you're not with us. It never felt oppressive, but it was something that, like, I could could sit down and tell you, like, yes, you know, there's, I could probably point to the JonBenet Ramsey case and say, you know, yeah, there's a reason for all of this, but it never, at least in my upbringing, it was always something that was just like, yeah, be careful, stranger danger and everything. That said, I moved around a lot, but largely lived in suburbs and smaller areas. Um, so like when I was younger, there was like structure and you just kind of had this white suburban safety net always around, um, which interestingly enough is kind of what the Ramses had. Mm-hmm. But it was never, like, I don't think it was ever, like, explicitly put that, you know, this is why you have to be careful. It's just, okay, you need to be careful. I think there was more of the explicit this is why when I was in um, Cub Scouts, and that's a whole different thing that, Um, but that's where it was more, like, abduction, sex trafficking, that sort of thing was like really for some reason that was a big part of cub scouts and uh kind of ironic with what bsa is going through right now actually Mm -hmm. yeah i have to say that my parents never sat me down and talked to me about it i never really knew except they were just like oh she's just a girl that's been kidnapped my mom wasn't obsessed with it my dad didn't really pay any attention to it either it's just like it's another missing persons case um elizabeth smart was the one that i was older and that one we did have a conversation about Mm -hmm. um they were always like when i was younger it was always like keep an eye out don't talk to strangers if you're playing outside and someone weird comes in scream Or, like, if anyone tells you to come home with them, you don't. If you're going to a friend, even if you're going to a friend's house, you have to tell us first. Um, So it was never for them. They never said, like, it was only strangers who were going to hurt you. They always said, like, if you don't feel comfortable around someone, you tell us. And, like, you let us know as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. It was never really attached to John Bonet. Yeah, uh, same here, although it, so, (laughs) first of all, my parents were extremely overprotective, and, like, I was just basically not allowed, like, outside of the house on my own, (laughs) like, I could go to school, and then nothing until basically, like, teenager, college type of thing, so, like, I one of my like earliest and fondest memories of like 
is of just like having my older brothers and sisters tell me all of like all of the things like how to dial 911, what to say to strangers if they're bugging you, like how to scream, all of that stuff. Like I felt very prepared by my older brothers and sisters. Um, and so my like I never had a discussion about any of this with with my parents. Um, and then it was just sort of like, like I said, it was just in the background of my childhood. Like it was her, it was Elizabeth Smart. Um, but it w- I, I don't remember this as a turning point. It wasn't like, oh my God, the world's unsafe because John Bonet happened. It was, oh, pageants are kind of weird and gross because John Bonet happened. No offense to the Southern people. They just not are, are not a part of my DNA. Um, but that was the thing that I remember actually thinking critically about rather than the situation, you know, anything having to do with the actual murder. Man, I had a wildly different childhood than all of you. But then again, I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, which was not safe at the time. Um, still isn't, by the way. Top 10 most unsafe cities in the U.S. Fun fact, L.A. is not even on it. Um, which, by the way, listeners... Is Omaha? All, we all live in L.A. I don't know. I can't remember, but I knew Nashville and Memphis were, and I, I cackled about that. Um, I think I saw a stat that said Omaha has, like, the highest crime rate per capita in the country. That's impressive, because I thought Little Rock was, like, number two or three. It's, like, got the highest uh, rate of aggravated assaults per capita. And I'm like, wow. But, so... Basically, right after Jean Monnet happened and, like, in the throes of the investigation for the Ramses, uh, Morgan Nick would go missing. And if you want to know about that case, please listen to my first episode. Um, but um, then Amber Hagerman, who was went missing, was found. Uh, Morgan Nick has never been found, but... Amber Hagerman has been found and she is the source of Amber alerts for children. And so what I went through in school, we all got fingerprinted. We all were, um, we all were taught certain sort of strategies. We had, I thought it was hilarious that, um, John Mulaney had his stranger danger approach because that was very similar to what I went through like the shut up you're all gonna die because it kind of felt like that a lot um we had been kind of taught to defend ourselves at a very very young age and we were a little bit more aggressive perhaps than we should have been but i will never regret it and my older sister told a story once so my siblings are 10 and 8 years older than me and so our parents were very kind of loose with us since you know, if I was six, my sister was 16, so we're not really concerned about, you know, where the kid is, um, if I was with Robert or Amanda, and um, she had told me a story, probably around the time I was, like, 12 or 13, about how she prevented me from being abducted from a Harvest Foods, and it would have been a complete stranger situation, I don't remember it. And, but those are the kind of things like my parents were 
very, very aware and conscious of like how dangerous it was in our area for children who were unattended and weren't, we were new to the area too. So like you're walking around looking like, I don't know what's going on. Uh, That's very different than being street smart and savvy. So my dad specifically, I do know that he taught me a lot about being street smart and savvy, how to notice things, what's important to look for. And what are red flags when someone is acting a specific way towards you and how you can navigate those situations. Um, But I basically spent most of my childhood being ready to like, who am I going to hit? Because I'm going to get pulled into a car. But we now know that stranger danger actually did the reverse effect that we hoped it did because stranger abductions are like 1% of the crime. I'm sorry. I'm pulling that off the top of my head. Should have grabbed my notes on this one. Uh, Most kidnappings are someone within the family or someone they know or someone they're related to in some sort of way. Um, Or kid missing children um, have been hurt And they've, like, fallen and hurt themselves. Or they've run off and they couldn't find their way back. Believe it or not, that happens quite often. And so, though I feel that the police should treat every child reported missing or every person reported missing as a missing person's case. Because I would rather be wrong 200 times than miss the person who would end up, like... Jean Benet or end up like Amber Hagerman and stuff like that. But it's funny that you bring up Elizabeth Smart and another one that um, was around the same time, but she did not have the same happy, I guess, end was Danielle Van Damme. Um, they both went missing around the same time. Um, Danielle was about seven when she went missing in 2002 and um, it just, they both had the same sensational coverage. Um, Elizabeth Smart missing out of, I believe Utah and then Danielle out of San Diego, California. And it just, one thing that I wanted to mention is just how white all of this is because there were how many missing children in Atlanta that never went national and I think it's like 40 plus missing children in Atlanta that never went national a lot of their stories have never been completed and all of these young girls though it's good that they got the coverage and we needed to know the stories and things of that nature, I don't want that to change. There are so many young people who haven't gotten the coverage because they're not young, white, blonde girls. And... Well, yeah, especially in the Native American community. Definitely. And in the black community and in the Hispanic community, I was listening to a recent... um, 
series of the fall line which is an excellent podcast by the way if you like really serious um true crime about um a missing undocumented immigrant who came here and how his connection to this white family that he was incredible friends with and they fought to get them to search for him and he still hasn't been found it's the though these are so sensationalized and kind of made to be like you know i guess like a like a fun crime story to talk about it's not i'm gonna say it's not fair like where is the press for the children of color who go missing i'm gonna say close to every day or are subjected to similar outcomes to Jean Benet just because they're not young, white, beautiful by those standards. Um, little girls. Like, yes, the violence against women is huge and more likely to happen, but there are plenty of other children who haven't gotten this press coverage and you know why. So that is a takeaway that I want us to think about as a it's whole. It's a good takeaway. It's important to remember that like a lot of black indigenous people of color go missing and it's more often than not chalked up to, oh, they ran away. Mm-hmm. I hate it. I mean, I mean, even I think, think of foster kids. Yes. Foster oh. kids are oh, always yeah. talked up to they just ran away when it's like, no, they're probably targeted because they're the exact victim who won't be missed. It's like the Ridgeway killer. Um, it's insane. We it, mentioned it's him just... offhand that he was able to get away with it because he chose a demographic that he could get away with a banana's number of killing Mm-hmm. because he was targeting a demo that nobody quote-unquote cared about. But those people had lives. They had people who loved them, and those same children had lives and people who loved them. And it's just, I don't think that the sensationalized version of these crimes, like Elizabeth Smart and... Danielle Van Damme and Jean Monnet, like all of these sensationalized crimes have helped. They, I think it's made it worse. Elizabeth Smart is the interesting one that out, like is kind of an outlier because hers was a true kidnapping. Yeah, no. It was, she, she was taken for a purpose, not for death. Mm-hmm. And she was groomed and she was held captive Meanwhile, the others are just murder. Yeah. It, it hers, and I also think it leads to this, in my mind, like, if I'm putting myself in the shoes of a mother who just lost a child and someone's like, well, Elizabeth Smart was found. Yeah. It's and a then, false hope. Um, Jamie Dugard and then most recently Jamie Kloss was thankfully found. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was thanks to herself. Like, she got herself out of that situation and that young girl like i don't want to say bless her heart in the 
the worst way, but she escaped because she, like, clawed her way out and basically ran to someone for help. And I find that though we teach young women not to be victims, there needs to be a more focus on how do we teach men not to be perpetrators. Oh, 100%. The onus can't be on women to fix the problem. Yep. Like, I'm really sick of the rhetoric of like, well, what are you wearing? How are you acting in public? What are you saying? Are you bringing it on yourself? And I'm like, ask your son. Yeah. If he's being a respectable human being. Check your kids. I mean, look at what just happened about the Netflix cheer guy who he was found with multiple attempts of child pornography of coercing children into taking photographs of themselves for him it comes from people that like you don't expect so it's on the parents it's on guardians it's on friends if you if you see something say something yeah like i mean this this goes to like a deeper cultural level than just like if you see one of your friends acting that way, like from a very young age, this is one of the things that I'm so, so thankful that my mother instilled in me is that it is not difficult to not be a creep, to not be a horrible person, to treat people with respect. Mm -hmm. Like it's not difficult to that, to do that. It really isn't like, I feel like all of when, when you hear the arguments about, um well girls need to pay attention to how they dress or whatever like all of that is just falling back on this boys boys will be boys bullshit and the truth is no like boys need to learn and men need to learn that it's not difficult to not be an abusive asshole like it really isn't you hear all of these stories even god i mean it was there was a whole thread recently of women creatives on Twitter just sharing the direct messages that they get from people. And they're all from men who are all super entitled and think that they're entitled to another person's being. And it's just like, that's so not okay. And it's really easy to not do that. Like it is really easy to not do these horrible things sorry i'm like talking over you so much i'm sorry no 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 i was just chiming in about like it takes zero effort yeah and, and, and you hear, it's just it's baffling yeah you hear it's baffling because you're right of um sorry go for it it's all good <laughs> but you hear these cases of young women who've been murdered by a boy for declining them to go um to prom with them and you're like what you're not it's because a lot of men as boys my therapist and i are talking about this boys are taught at a very young age that women will always be there to do something for them their mothers are the ones that come running their mothers are the ones to calm them down the mothers will pacify them for their emotions and make them feel valid for it meanwhile women we're expected to fit into the space that men have provided for us. Mm-hmm. So we're never told that our emotions are okay or valid. We're told that we're crazy. Meanwhile, men 
who respond in a legitimate crazy way. Like if my son came to me and he was like, I'm so pissed off she led me on, my first response would be, she does not owe you anything. It is on you to decide how much time and effort you want to give a person. Are there women and men who, like there are men and women, I'm sorry, but I've, le- I've been led on by men. I, there are women who lead men on. It doesn't matter. It's, a, it's on you to learn how much effort and time you're going to invest in someone. Mm-hmm. So this rhetoric of these women who just like, they owe a man time. They owe a man admiration and and their attention is so archaic and it's wrong. I don't owe men shit. I'm sorry. I don't Damn owe you straight. anything. Because I have my own shit to deal with. I have my own life. And I'm and it's why like my mom's like, well, well, why haven't you met anyone, man or woman? And it's because I'm very tired of fitting in someone else's space. And will that lead me to someone? Probably not. But this is this is a tangent. Anyways, what I'm saying is, is that like men are constantly validated for their feelings and emotions even when they're toxic. Mm-hmm. And that needs to stop. And, and it's so wild how you look at just it goes so far as like the verbiage, like the words that are used to describe literally the same responses from a, a man versus a woman who gets angry about something. It's such bullshit. And it's something that like, again, I like, I I don't know. I, it just always registered to me as like, that's a stupid double standard and the guy is being a jackass and also it's not hard to just not do that it's not hard to take a second what happened to counting to 10 like did you ever think maybe i should count to 10 before i go and make this really uncomfortable unprovoked unsolicited unasked for advance Mm -hmm. and then furthermore after i did this really stupid ignorant thing um like take a moment and not get upset because maybe you are the person who's the problem here Mm mm-hmm also, like, I, think it, about the ooh. fact that it was between John Bonet and her brother of being victims. Mm-hmm. And they go for the girl. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's why, like, I'm really happy. My parents put me in karate at the age of five. One, because I loved it. I went, there was like a birthday party held at a karate studio and I fell in love with it. But two, it made them <laughs> feel better that I could handle myself in any situation. Mm-hmm. Like, teach young yeah. women to defend themselves, but also to hold men accountable and teach young men to hold themselves accountable. Preach. Fucking preach. I, I'm not one to say like, we should stop teaching, telling girls that they have to defend themselves. Yeah. But like, we definitely need to learn how to defend ourselves against the people who won't listen, but also stand up and tell men to stop i mean this i don't know this sorry i i was just gonna share like this is something that really dawned on me in the service industry is watching like because you you even though you can be slammed when you're serving tables and whatever you have time to notice what's happening and there is a definite trend of watching how male patrons even from a relatively young age 
interact with women servers. And I, I think I can, I think we can even expand that to say, interact to people whose gender identity is female, than how they interacted with me. And like, you can hear it in the tone of the voice when they're just ordering food that it's like, I can legit feel the, feel the freaking condescension dripping in the air as you ask what the special is. And I can tell you that by the time you take a bite of your entree, you are likely going to be screaming at your server. Mm-hmm. Versus if it was me, the worst anyone would say, I, I, I mean, we can go into horror stories and I have some fun ones, but like largely when you remove the outliers, the worst anyone would say to me was that I needed to quote lighten up because I didn't think that they were being funny. Whereas if I was one of my coworkers who was not a male um, or who didn't identify as a male, um, the worst that they would experience is getting shouted at, getting berated for, through an entire meal, having someone dangle their money in front of them because that's how they make their money on their tips. I mean, I've literally seen the same guy. In fact, I have served the same guy. And every time he has a, a female identifying server serving him, he sets money on the table when he starts and says, this is your tip. And every time you make a mistake, I'm taking something away. And I know he got it off of Reddit because I saw it on Reddit, but he never once did that with me. Oh, it happened to me too. It's happened to me. And it's just like, it's like, it is in everything. It's not just in don't, uh, don't physically abuse people. It's literally treat people with respect and some amount of dignity. And I think that when we get to the core of toxic masculinity, it's all based around the idea that people who are not cis men in that mindset, like, Toxically, uh, toxic men think that they have no dignity and they don't need to be treated with any. And it's such bullshit. And it's like, dude, this is such a simple fix that you just don't take the time to do. And furthermore, it becomes ingrained as you grow older and you pass it on to your kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, rant. Mm. But I mean, it's relevant because as we discuss in Intruder Theory for Jean Benet, like, you're looking at somebody who most likely is um, of that mindset who has inherited toxic masculinity and sees this young girl as property, not person, and was like, this is how I'm going to achieve this goal. Like, if you break it down, it's somebody... I don't think it was the parents. I don't think it was the brother. I think it was somebody unknown to the family. And I don't know if this case will ever be solved because of all of the missteps that were taken and the zero focus that they had outside of the parents and the younger or the older brother, sorry, nine years old. Um, but... That also speaks to the police department's behavior. They were looking at, I mean, who did they accuse first? The mother. Like, yeah. And, and this, this, to me. this brings me to another question, which is like, okay, if we're going to play hypotheticals here, we can look at all of the missteps and all of the leads that were not followed 
and all of the questions that were not asked, even though they were brought up. Do we think that it would have been approached in the same way if it was the son? No. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you. Like, I'm 100% inclined to agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. Because then we'd have heard about, oh, you know, you, you'd you get the, oh, God, I hate even saying this guy. I'm not going to say his name, but the Stanford swimmer. You'd have got all of this about how promising a future this this young boy would have happened and how tragic it was, and we're going to get to the bottom of it. And yeah, there was a little bit of that with Jean Bonnet. There was. But, but it was you only look because at the gorgeous pictures of her. Exactly. It was the pretty glamour shot white girl. And it just, I, I don't know. I, I genuinely think that there would have been a higher standard to the investigation if this was the son. I don't know about the standard because they were just incompetent to begin with. But I think that there would have been a higher, I guess, I maybe a bit more propriety and decency, you know? But it's just, I wish this would like end on more of a positive note here, but right. unfortunately, what we are going to have to conclude is that there is not going to be an answer, I don't think, due to the pissing contests and the fact that even a female detective had embraced the toxic masculinity that pervades police departments and they all focused in on her when every every expert who came in from outside looking at the evidence was like you realize this all points away from them right and people who look at this they they still hear what the media tells them that it was the parents, that it was the son. And it just doesn't make any sense to me. It makes sense to me personally that an intruder came in and murdered their daughter and they've been persecuted ever since for losing her. And I think that that's the comfortable solution because that's the one that allows people to like sleep at night saying, Oh, well, it, it was the parents, so it couldn't happen to me and mine. And there's there's such a thing, such a trend in the world right now where everybody is more comfortable when bad things are happening to other people. And anytime their perfect little bubble is pierced and bad things start happening to them or bad things start getting closer to them and the thought becomes, oh, this could happen to me. It's like we don't know how to deal with it and we'd rather push it off. And the truth is that sometimes bad things happen to everyone regardless of status, regardless of whatever precautions you take, how much money you have. Um, This can happen to you. And so I think that the narrative of this being the parents, when we look at the 24-hour news cycle that we talked in last episode was really ramping up, really reaching that new height with the OJ case and then this, and then the Clinton investigation, they look for the feel good answer to the sensational story as the way to bring it home. Right. 
And yeah. whether that is the whether that's the news cycle doing it or the people investigating or whatever, I just throughout this whole thing, I got the feeling that they it was like it would be best if it was the parents that would be the most well received. Mm-hmm. Make that makes sense to me. Did anybody else have a closing argument? No one? Bueller? I feel like we've made our points. <laughs> I feel like we've hammered him into the ground. This yeah. One of our longest episodes. Oh, my God. Um, well, so in conclusion, I think that we all actually came to agreement that we don't feel like the parents did it. That is bananas. Um, I thought I was going to have to, like, make a speech or something. And I think the evidence actually did this all for me. Um, I hope I didn't like, you know, present with prejudice, but I probably did. However, um, so this has been, let's talk about the facts. We really did just discuss facts today. I didn't give you any new ones. I think I just gave you suspects, suspicious. This has been a very suspicious episode of let's talk about the facts. And I was your host on this candy cane journey. And Elizabeth Ferry, and with me today was Kelly Larson, Justin Plaskett, and Rachel Hip Flores. And this trio of elves is gonna peace out with the Santa Claus here. Maybe it's a sanity clause. And uh... <laughs> get out. <laughs> That's what we will be doing. <laughs> And okay, but I get to be the Keebler elf. Yeah, he's the Keebler elf. I call Legolas. Yeah, this I was like, has completely descended into madness. <laughs> that's what happens on panel episodes. You're just mad that you're not Legolas. Um, I don't know. Let's say you're from... I don't know. I'll think of what elf you are next week. Maybe on our horror podcast that I'm shamelessly plugging. and yeah so we'll see you i think next year or maybe like right before next year who knows i don't know what a calendar is never heard of her uh have a great christmas season and next year we're starting with a brand new no seasons no christmas crimes no spooky season. I'm just going to go free form and go ham. So maybe you'll see some of these faces back. Hot taken. All right. Bye. This podcast was surprisingly produced by me. Original music by Miranda Miller. You can find us both on Twitter and Instagram at TalkAboutFacts, that's T-A-L-K-A-B-T-F-A-C-T-S, or email recommendations to ltatfpodcast at gmail.com. Stay safe out there, friends.